This week is Isla's birthday week. Oh, yeah. So she's turning nine tomorrow. Her last single digit birthday. Yeah, she's she's so excited. It's cute. And it feels nice because last year, you know, COVID birthday sucked and (laughs) it was very anticlimactic. It was just us, like our first four person family. The four of you. This year we got a projector and a screen and we're going to have an outdoor movie night on our (gasps) screen porch with three of her friends. Aww, I love that. I'm so excited for her just to be with other kiddos absolutely oh that's super cute <laughs> are you baking a cake i am she asked for a carrot cake cheesecake so it has layers of carrot cake and cheesecake oh in it mm. for those of you who do not know stephanie is an incredible baker i just love to do it <laughs> but the stuff you create is like amazing it's amazing I'm rusty. you can sell it i'm rusty friend <laughs> I haven't done it in a long time. I'm, I used to make much more complicated cakes. We'll post some of them on our Instagram so you can see what we're talking about. But definitely, I think cake photos are, are necessary. <laughs> like the Louis Vuitton cake. Yes. Got to post a photo of Jim's Louis Vuitton cake. <laughs> our friend Jim Kelly, who's the president of the National Philharmonic, and he's a violist also. He's like such an amazing friend. And his husband asked me to make him a Louis Vuitton cake for his 40th birthday. And it was so much fun to make. We'll we'll post a picture of that. Yes. And you also had a cake decorating business. Well, it was it wasn't really a fully fledged business. Like I incorporated the name. It had the cutest name. Sweet Compositions. Oh, it's so cute. But I came to realize that cake decorating, at least for me, was something that was a great hobby. But it takes me so long to do these intricate designs that the time to money ratio was just not in my favor. So I decided just to keep it as a hobby. So I don't do it very much anymore. Yeah, I can understand that. I cook a lot. Well, I did cook a lot. COVID kind of killed the joy of cooking for a while for me. I hope I'm going to get it back. I'm decent at it. But I always laugh because whenever they do like, you know, Chopped on Food Network or whatever, one of those cooking shows, they have amateur shows sometimes. And years ago, I remember my husband and I would talk about like, oh, you should see if you could do that. Like go on amateur chop. Like I'm very good at taking random ingredients and making something cool out of yeah. them. And just winging it. The problem is time. <laughs> like, I don't think I could ever do it in 30 minutes, ever. Everything takes me time. That's Everything. Funny. I would be that person who goes on the show and runs out of time and like leaves an agreement <laughs> off. And then I'm standing in front of the judges. I'm like, yeah, the time just got away from me. 30 minutes start to finish. I mean, chopping and cooking and everything. That's amazing mm-hmm. to me. Blows mm-hmm. my mind. Because I'm sorry, Rachel Ray. Rachel Ray was one of my first cookbooks, the 30, 30 Minute Meals. meals. Yes. Yeah, there's no way. Like, I rarely make them in 30 minutes. If you factor in all the prep. I don't know. She was just really good at that. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. It's amazing. Welcome to the Viola-centric podcast. We are two curious violists exploring the art of connection through conversations with each other and our friends. I'm Stephanie Knudsen. And I'm Liz O'Hara-Starr. And we're both professional freelance musicians living in the D.C. metro area. Speaking of recipes, so yeah. 
Oh um, no! People have been sending us cake <laughs> recipes. Oh my god! I tried to comment too, on the one. Accept the comment. Dana, no. The answer is no. <laughs> Looks disgusting. You know what I think? I know. I was like, I would have to close my eyes. I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, because I at first I thought when she was making this recipe on this Instagram reel that we got tagged in, I thought she maybe grind them up. I was like, oh, she'll grind them up and then they turn into like a flour and you don't even know they're in there. But no, no, she just stirs them in with whatever sauce she made. And then they're like saucy. And also they're not just like, I didn't realize they're not just the nymph and they're not just the one that comes out of the shell. They're both and the shells. And she was like throwing all the different kinds in. Okay. I don't know what the proper method, if there is a proper method for cooking cicadas disgusting but what i did see one i saw um was it on cbs sunday morning this week you guys can tell me if that was where it was i have it recorded i'll go check i love later. that you watch sunday morning that's like my old person show <laughs> yes that's one of my old person shows too you know my parents got me into me it too. like it's just like interesting mm-hmm. news doesn't it feel more all-encompassing of the things going on with humanity yes. today you know, rather than just doom and gloom, like for 30 minutes or it whatever. It feels like a very, not in a bad way, but bland version of news. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing super extreme. There's no really big extreme viewpoints or anything like that. It's kind of both sidesy, yeah. but it's something that's easy to digest on Sunday morning. And there's usually, without fail, there's just like one reporter on there who always does like the piece that makes you cry but anyway so sunday morning had a segment about the cicadas and these people who are like cicada heads and they um oh god and they they made cookies no with the cicadas no and you know how there's we make them at christmas time those they're called blossom cookies so there's like a cookie and then in the middle there's a hershey kiss well, it was like the same thing, but with like a cicada. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, well, you have to eat around the cicada. And then the cicada is like the good bite at the end. What? That's, that's your last bite. And I was like, friend. No, no. You eat that for, you get it out of the way. And right? then you eat the cookie. You close your eyes. Close your eyes. Who did that one? Moraka? I bet it was Moraka. No, no, <laughs> no, it was somebody else. She ate a cicada cookie. And I can't, you know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, I think that I could get down with eating a cicada something <laughs> if I didn't have to harvest them. Right. Yeah. Like we have to go find and then like collect them in like a vessel. And you have to do that at night because the nymphs are the supposedly the ones that you No, eat. no. Okay. So oh you... man. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if there's someone who will harvest them for us and prepare us something cicada-y. Yeah. I don't know if I could live with myself having known that my oven had bugs in it. I don't know. Yeah, that was the other thing about that reel that Dana sent us was it was like you put them in the freezer to humanely. Yes, I do know that. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think I can do any of that, actually. I don't think I can kill things and then eat them. I mean, I know that I eat a lot of things that have been killed, but I don't see that they've been killed. <laughs> I don't think I can do it. What about vegetables? We're basically killing the vegetables. <laughs> yeah, they're already dead when they come to me. <laughs> they've already been pulled. <laughs> they've already been ripped from their roots. Oh, this is getting dark. It's getting really dark. 
I have been going down this like very fascinating rabbit hole with mindfulness and compassion and all lots of thoughts to explore. But one of the things that came up is this idea that, you know, in from a physics standpoint, we're all moving matter and that and that the fact that we're solid beings is like this illusion right like everything everything is down to its granular is just a moving particle whoa yeah big stuff but if you apply it in terms of understanding like living things and whatever life that flows through everything and then you start to talk about taking lives for food it's a whole thing that i yeah i don't know i just don't think i have it in me to be hardcore vegan or something i did it once and it wasn't hardcore it was just like i've come to realize this about myself that i am i don't know how to describe it i am the type of person who if you tell me that something is hard i will try and do that thing to prove that i can do it yes i can see that about you my friend (laughs) so i love that it was a challenge and i was like challenge accepted (laughs) And so for a little while, I was vegan, but not for the right reasons, just to see if I could do it. And how did that go? Well, it went fine. And then I got pregnant. And my doctor was like, you need to eat a hamburger. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because my iron was low. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I'm the person that's like, I feel when I really think about where my food comes from, it hurts. it's It's like painful to think about. So I just, I shut that part off. I just do it. Yeah. I think it's really hard. You kind of have to pick your battles, you know? Yeah. Your mental battles. That's right. Because there are so many things. And I mean, this world is so cruel and there are so many dark things happening all the time that if you let yourself get sucked into every one, mm. and I know there are a lot of people who have trouble with this and I really, I really feel for you. I'm an empath and I, I really have to struggle sometimes to just shut it down. Yeah. You know, because if you start to think about all the things, it can feel very overwhelming. Yeah. When you are empathic, it's learning boundaries and figuring out how to exercise those boundaries Mm -hmm. so that someone else's suffering does not envelop you. Mm -hmm. And I am, I continuously learn that lesson. (laughs) I learned that lesson. I've been learning that lesson my whole life and probably will continue to do so. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't even realize when you're in it, you know, but that's the thing with food. Uh, we we just try to um, really know where our food is coming from. We work with small family owned farms for procuring meat and things like that. So that's where I, I don't know, try to make a difference that way. It's overwhelming because it always feels like you could be doing more. Yeah, of course. There is more you can always do, right? Yes. But I mean, you have to draw the line somewhere yep. unless I'm going to move to a commune, you know, have my own farm and grow my own vegetables, which is not what I'm willing to do. Stephanie, I don't know. Commune keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. <laughs> is this the future of viola-centric? The, the viola-centric commune. commune. <laughs> Anyone who's interested, just let us know. <laughs> Message us. Tell us what skills you have to offer to the commune. Yeah. And we'll start taking applications. <laughs> <laughs> and then we need oh i know the perfect place we can go it's not that far away okay it has to have a good water supply yeah be on high ground away from the coast i'm sorry it can't be at the beach well can it be 15 minutes well i mean we have global warming to contend with here <laughs> rising sea levels. oh my god oh my god all the problems 
Oh no, here we go again. Here we go again. I, it's true. It is true that that idea of like trying to pick your causes, you know, like the focus of your life, like where are the places I most want to put my energy? Mm-hmm. So we're winding down. Yes. For our first season. But not before this next amazing guest. Oh my gosh, you guys. Viola mom. We're so excited just to talk to her. And you guys are going to, you're going to love her. Mm-hmm. We had never spoken before this interview. That's right. And Liz and I really didn't know what to expect. I mean, we've all been watching her meteoric rise on TikTok and <laughs> and all the the related, uh, you know, articles and hubbub. But we really didn't know what to expect. And you guys, she's such a warm person. Obviously, she's an amazingly talented musician. Just great stories. Yeah. What did you think, Liz? What were your impressions? Oh, I just, yeah, I loved her. She's funny like you'd expect her to be if you've seen her videos, you know, they just make you laugh out loud. And also very creative, so much creative energy, which I think is such a great refreshing thing. It's just always wonderful to meet someone who's full of ideas and always looking for places to fulfill those ideas. I think what's really cool is hearing Rebecca share that she has been introducing classical music in a way that's accessible and humorous and fun and from the very youngest ages. That's a passion of hers. It's like a very strong passion of hers. And that really resonated with me because I think we're talking about these ideas that, you know, we have to find a way to make it digestible, make it approachable if we want to grow our audiences, if we want to have new audiences. And she's like having a blast while she's doing it, but that's she's doing the work, you know, Mm -hmm. which is so cool. Yeah, I just love it. I'm excited to see where she takes this. I feel like she's got great ideas. So anyway, that was my takeaway was like, here's someone who has who has a mission. Yeah. So it was really just amazing to talk with her. I think you guys are really going to love this conversation, but please let us know. Send us questions. Send us any reactions, anything you want us to talk about. We are going to do a mailbag episode. So yes, we want to hear from you. Ask us anything. From the time that this episode comes out. We'll have about a week or so, and then we're going to do, yeah, we're going to do mailbags. So we're going to include shout outs to our listeners that have reached out to us throughout this season. We're going to share with you a little bit about our experience with this podcast, but we do, we would love to hear questions, perspectives, thoughts, things that, you know, you think we should share on the last episode of the season and going forward. It's exciting. I can't believe we're like wrapping up our season. (laughs) I know. It feels weird. It feels super weird, but I'm also excited. I'm excited too for the time, you know, Stephanie and I are going to, we're going to take a break. We're going to take time together and like plan and come up with new ideas and some more vision for what we want to going forward. So again, if you have questions or thoughts, even if it doesn't make the mailbag episode, reach out to us, you know, let us know what you think because we're full of future ideas and possibilities. Yeah, and actually, you can catch us at the American Viola Society Festival, which is online this year from June 2nd through the 5th. We have a virtual booth there. You can request meetings with us. You can send us messages. We're going to put up a welcome video up there. We're going to have booth hours. So come and say hi. Yes. If you're going to be at the festival anyway, please, we want to connect 
faces to names and we want to connect with you that way too. Yes, absolutely. If you are a violist and you haven't signed up for the festival, I would strongly recommend it. It's going to be really interesting. They have a lot of presenters and there are other exhibitors, including our friend Molly Sharp with La Tootie. And I think it's going to be really cool. So you can find out all the information you need to for that on the American Viola Society website. Whether you're a member of AVS or not, it, it doesn't matter. You can you can join us. So Yes, absolutely. Oh, and one other thing is we have merch coming. <gasps> That's right. Oh my gosh, we have so many things to share. <laughs> we have merch. Our t-shirts, which you can get one that says just Viola-centric on it, just the logo. But also we have this really cool design that I'm excited about that's hashtag full body nod. Yes. You guys. It's super cute. You have to get one of these. <laughs> Okay, so we have this great partnership going with Alto Clef Gifts. Yes. And she is going to be um, hosting all of our merch. It's going to be exclusive there. And you can get anything on her site. If you use the code VIOLACENTRIC, you'll get 10% off. That's right. And she's got amazing, she's got masks, tote bags. You can buy all of our merch there. Jewelry. So many, so many cool things over there. Oh, there's so many things. Our friends, Scott and Tanya. Oh, yeah. I saw their stuff. Yeah, they just posted a whole bunch of stuff that Tanya had gotten for Scott, I think for his birthday or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he has birthday. There's just limitless things. It's very cool. Lisa Divig, we are so excited to be working with her. She's she's really great, fellow violist, and has started this. It's really beautiful stuff that she's doing. So we're really excited. Yeah, t-shirts, mugs, whatever it is, you can have Yellow Centric's logo all over it. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? <laughs> so many things to share. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully you enjoy this conversation with Rebecca Young, Viola Mom, and we will talk to you next time. behave myself don't do that <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't playing much at the beginning of the pandemic and then i got a phone call it was summer already a freelance friend she said i'm playing quartets would you come and play all right i'll do it so i went over and oh my god i didn't realize how much i missed playing it's the performing of it i don't know is it the music is it the being with people is it the playing all of those all things. of the above yeah from that moment Every time somebody called me to play or I had them come over and we played, it was just, you know, it was really gratifying. And of course, half of it, you know, three quarters of it was talking and drinking and eating. Yeah. And yeah. The best part was playing Ravel string quartet, which I had never played. And then one of them said, do it again. <laughs> and I'm looking at the cheese and the wine. I'm like, okay, let's just do it again. So we did it again. And then we ate, we feasted. And by that time it was dark out. I had to go and get a halogen lamp from the garage because she said, can we just play through it again? I said, yeah, all right, let's do it. Yeah, I think this time gave us the opportunity to reconnect with the parts we love about what we're doing. You forget about it when we were in the hustle and bustle of what life was like beforehand. Yeah. I mean, your schedule must be, you guys have how many week season? Well, it's 52. We have six off usually in the summer. I don't think there's such a thing as usually anymore. Right. And here or there during the year, we have some time off, but not much. And, you know, the orchestra job is hard enough as it is. And especially if you live in the suburbs and you have the GWB between you and the West Side Highway and, and the hall. But I do the Very Young People's Concerts. I do a lot of chamber music. I think we work, at least this is what I've heard, is that we work more than any other orchestra in the world. Wow. Which is great. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that the schedule is very, very busy. Yeah. I've had a hard time saying no 
because I like the stuff that comes up. I love the chamber music and I love the very young people's I'm not going to say no to because that's the kind of stuff that I really like to do. I love that you're doing that, by the way. <laughs> I love watching the videos of Bernstein doing those. Uh-huh. How did you get into that role of you host them, right? I host the very young people's concerts. Those are for three to six-year-olds. Oh my goodness. The young people's are more geared for six to 12-year-olds. Okay. I've done those too a bunch of years ago. Well, I had done one with Yo-Yo and Manny Axe and some other colleagues of ours. I think it was the Phillips Brothers. Anyway, we were in Carnegie Hall and they asked me to do it. And somehow I ended up having the speaking role, like being sort of the MC of this whole thing. And I, I was almost overwhelmed at how difficult and how scary it was. And I had a big script written on my stand and big letters. And I just, I didn't want to screw up with these guys. But that was the first time I did anything like that. And I loved it. It's like a, you know, a first boyfriend. You remember every detail of everything. I'm kind of the trouble, not troublemaker, but if we have a meeting because we're doing some kind of special project and they say, does anybody have any kind of other talents that they would like to do? Or would you be willing to stand up and do something? And people in the orchestra will say, Becky, you'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) So when they went to do the Very Young People's Concerts, they had started them a year before I joined them. And there was a different host. I didn't want to do it. It was a small kind of grassroots within the orchestra group that wanted to do this. And it was a string quartet and they'd have one guest, like a horn player at this concert or a harp player at this concert and a host. So I said, no, no, no. Between the commute, all those things we talked about already, I don't want to add anything to my plate. I'm so bad at saying no, though. And Carrie McDermott, actually the violinist, she said, you know what? It's a half hour show two times on a Sunday and one time on a Monday. And that's it. It happens three times in the spring usually. And I said, all right, I'll do it. And I loved it. The show was a half an hour show. Before the show, the musicians would go out into the vestibule and play games with the kids and have them like almost like a petting zoo, you know, be able to touch the instruments and stuff like that. And then we come and have this half hour show. I would ride out on a scooter or I would, you know, do something silly and get their attention. And one time I was sitting at home and one of my kids had Modern Major General up on the piano. And I don't play piano, but I just was going, bum, 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 bum. And I'm looking at, I am the very model of a Modern Major General of information. But, oh, I am the very model of a mod- Oh, Allegro. That'd be cool for Allegro. I wonder if they let me do it. So I floated the idea and they went, oh, okay. And then... I thought, all right, if we're doing Allegro, then I've got to do something for a Dodger. So I'm looking through this book and I went, oh, Titwillow. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. in Titwillow, Titwillow. In a tree by a river, a little Tom Tit sang Willow, Titwillow. Hmm, how can I make that a, lo- a Dodger? Because it's the Dodger, right? It's a slow song. So I went, there's a word that in music we want you to know. A Dodger, a Dodger, a Dodger. Oh. Since we've already done fast, this word must mean slow. A Dodger. No, and anyway. And I said, can we do this? And they went, okay. And that was that. And the first time we did it, the musician colleagues and the education guy went, that's great. You've got to do one of these for each show. And I did. So I have a bunch of them that I've done. And Wow. I love that. That was a real instance of you getting to take ownership of something in the orchestra that really sparked your creativity. And it really lit something inside you. Absolutely. It's been my favorite role at the Philharmonic for years. There's a great brass one that we did. Oh, you are my tuba, my only tuba. You make me happy when I hear you play. And you'll never know, dear. Whatever. I really want to get that on video. That's one thing that I really want to do is get all of them down on video. Well, now you've got this TikTok audience and platform. Right. I know you've told this story a whole bunch of times, but just for the record, how did all of that start? Huh? Yeah. How'd you become a 
TikTok queen. <laughs> queen. <laughs> I have a 17-year-old daughter. It's the end of that story. <laughs> <laughs> Emma would come over and um, constantly, she's putting her phone somewhere and, you know, grabbing me by the arm. Okay, mom, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Okay. <laughs> I love that she included you. Oh, my God. <laughs> she knows I'm not going to do what she does. I, I can't do it. And then there was one time she said, mom, come here. And she's sitting at the table and I'm looking over her shoulder and she's showing me this classical violinist and he sounded really good. And so we duetted it, we split the screen in half. You can see us, but you can't hear us. And I'm just looking over her shoulder doing nothing because I don't know if I'm supposed to do anything. <laughs> and he says, this is what you play when you want to impress a beginner. And he plays something really well. And then he plays something for intermediate. And then he says, this is what you play when you want to impress an advanced musician. Da, 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 Sibelius, right? And so my daughter, not knowing what it is or anything, she looks up at me like she's impressed and she said, Mom, do something. And I went, I'm impressed. I must be an advanced musician. I'm an advanced musician. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear it. You just see me, you know, making... And she goes, Mom, look at the numbers. It stopped at around 8 million views. And the comments were... Uh, you know, queen, like you said, oh, Viola Queen. Is that Rebecca Young? That can't be Rebecca Young. Is that Rebecca Young? Like, who, know, who knows who I am? <laughs> Who's looking at these things? I thought they were all teenagers. But it's people of all ages and mm -hmm. from every walk of society. And, and um, it was fun. So, of course, one of the comments was, we have to hear your mom play. So she sits down on the couch and she says, play something. What am I going to play? So I did, you know, brand, brand, da, 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 there, one of these things. And uh, it was silly. And the way she put it together, she knows and just like cut it up and piece these silly things together. And it was chaotic. <laughs> and that was one of the comments that people said they enjoy the, the frenetic and like the, I can't remember how they put it. I should be insulted, but actually it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> then we did another one. She said that so many people asked for Devil Went Down to Georgia. I said, well, I've heard of it. So I learned it. <gasps> Time out for one second here, Becky. You played Devil Went Down to Georgia on viola? Yeah. Every single person in my family is like, when are you going to learn how to play Devil Went Down to Georgia? Okay, here it is. People asking for this song. Uh, uh, I mean, there's only one thing left to do. I need to play it. Yes. <laughs> I loved it. I was having fun. Another comment we got often was, we like you, but we're here for your mom. Tell her to get her own TikTok. You know? So I was thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And I was thinking, all right, I'll do a duet with one of my colleagues. I'll call Joe Alessi. He's my friend. He's a trombone player. And we did, we went outside. It was freezing cold. There was snow on the ground and it was COVID. So we had to socially distance and I kind of figured out what I was going to do. I didn't know at that moment. So I just filmed me saying, I've come to Joe Alessi's house to see if he'll play some music with me in the snow. And then I got out and ran to the door playing something crazy. I knock on the door and he opens the door and he comes out. We play da 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 da. He went wah da da wah wah wah, you know. <laughs> and it was so much fun. And the neighbors were walking down the street and they stopped to watch. And so I posted it and it did pretty well. And then I thought, all right, let me try somebody else. Cindy was the next one. She said yes. And then I went to our tuba player and then I went to whatever idea I came up with, people had said yes. I have literally a list of things that I want to do that are ready to go. 
Cindy Phelps. I introduce her. I say, this is my wife, Cindy, and she does the same to me. <laughs> I came up with this idea since I broke my wrist and I'm really missing doing the TikTok stuff. So I'm, like, I'm grateful for the job, but this TikTok thing has been so much fun. Yeah. So I called her up and I said, I came up with an idea. How about if we do something where you do the left hand and I'll do the right you know? And so I have a song that I'm making an arrangement. That's amazing. That is so awesome. <laughs> I did one with Judy LeClaire, our principal bassoon player. And she called me and texted me. And, Can we do another one? What are our numbers? What are we? She was so into it. Couldn't wait. And the same thing with <laughs> Sherry Seiler was people are excited and want to do it again once they do it. So Yes. Yeah, it's kind of addictive. It is addictive. And now I'm sort of been concentrating on this. Yeah. Well, you got to recover, right? Yeah. Even Peter and the Wolf, I'm working on doing that in several languages, actually. Wow. Oh, in under one minute. It's so great. It's like beautifully frenetic, uh, but in like the most fun way. It just makes me laugh. Oh, uh, that's good. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what I want to hear. I want to show you. So like I'm trying to do it in Greek. I don't speak Greek, but one of my best friends does. And so she translated it into Greek. I have it in Castilian. I have it in Chinese. I have it in Portuguese. Yeah. So it sounds like you've got enough to keep you off the streets for a little while. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm not going to mention them yet. Oh, no, no. Yeah, don't. No spoilers. But I have some other similar to Peter and the Wolf. I have. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Just have to stay tuned. People have mentioned to you that you're making classical music more accessible by what you're doing. And I love that you said that humor is sort of this vehicle for you. And you referenced how what we do sometimes is pretty serious business. But even from doing the Very Young Persons concert, I mean, you're creating accessibility at the earliest stage, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Remember when you were a kid, Bugs Bunny, or any of those things where you hear that music played in commercials or things like that. We know where they come from, but the average person doesn't. I've always thought it'd be really cool to do a young people's concert where we would play the music or you'd show a piece of the commercial on the video and then play a little more of that piece so people can become aware of classical music as you hear it in your daily life. And also, how does it make you feel? I had an experience. My son met his wife. They were playing in a group called Litha. It's an orchestra that gets together. I don't know if they're exactly amateurs, but anyway, they come together and they play these concerts. They were playing Muller too. And I played Muller's Second Symphony a bunch of times. And the most memorable, of course, was Leonard Bernstein. We recorded it with Leonard Bernstein. So you could be a snob about it, right? But I'm going and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this thing and I'm really enjoying it. And my kid is playing and he plays great and everybody's playing great. And the end of this piece, I was weeping. Mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't control it. Now, this is not about my kid. And I didn't know my daughter-in-law yet. He didn't even know. I think he had just met her that day. But I was literally like sobbing at the end of this piece. It was the music itself. It made me think about the baloney that we get tied up in when we go to work. If you're sitting on the stage and you're playing a Brahms symphony, it's something to be gotten through. You know it's time to either do something else or change it up a bit or, or rethink what you're doing. And a lot of times I'm sitting there and I look out at the audience and there's a moment that I'm bored or I'm, I'm thinking about who knows what. And it's not about Brahms. Mm -hmm. And I look out and I see somebody with tears coming down their face. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Sitting there, I was thinking, I got to just listen to the music. It's just about the music. That's why I got into this in the first place. So that's one thing. Another thing is when I was in college, I remember I had one roommate who practiced. Oh, my God. She practiced the same etude over and over and over. And I thought, God, if I had to practice that much, I would never have done it. <laughs> I wanted it to be fun. Yes. So we'd play chamber music, get into a chamber music rehearsal. And at the end of the thing, 
I'd say, okay, before we leave, can we all sing our parts? And I, this is not one of those. If we sing, then we'll know how we fit in. No, let's just sing. It'll be fun. And we're howling. People would open the practice rooms like, what the hell is going on in here? <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about just enjoying what you're doing rather than trying to, oh, look how good I am. And if I'm going to, well, I'm a perfectionist like any other classical musician. And that can be the bane of our existence. But there's more to it than that. I think a lot of what we do on the stage Look, there are all different kinds of audiences, audience members and demographics and things. And I think there are a lot of people who come to the Philharmonic who want to see that old fashioned people wearing black. Let's play a Brahms symphony. And that's it. I think that there are other ways to sell it. That's my point is, you know, we could do a movement of this and a movement of this and a movement like they used to do that. A hundred years ago, they used to. Oh, like a sampler kind of idea. I think we could do that kind of thing. And the other thing is that I have found, check this out. I had this idea to do a very young people's concert to the board members, because maybe somebody will be interested and then we could have them sort of be our sponsor. We could get a little more funding and then we could do more concerts here, there, and everywhere. And I thought it was going to be board members and their grandkids or board members and their children or, and there are no kids in the audience. And they told me this backstage. I was like, oh goodness. So I came out on stage and I'm wearing this black gown with a pink feather boa and Converse sneakers that were mismatched and everything. (laughs) So I came out on stage as I normally like ran out and I said, okay, hi everybody. We're just going to do this as if you're the kids. They loved it. And I think a lot of parents love what we do anyway. They have fun. And I keep saying, why can't we do, we wouldn't call it this, but why can't we do very old people's concerts? Why can't we just have fun with the music for, you know, civilians, yes. average age people or, you know, everybody. It doesn't have to be just for little tiny kids. That's such a great idea. Yes. And take it outside. Our mascot is Philippe the Penguin. So why can't we do one in Central Park in front of the Penguin House? Oh. Military families and children's hospitals. So I'm trying to now branch out and I'm going to contact different places on my own because it makes me happy and it makes other people happy. and frankly. It's great for the orchestra. Here, this is a sample of what we do. And isn't it great? Isn't it fun coming here what we do for, for grown-ups? It's great what we do, but it's like you give birth to a little baby. You don't give birth to a grown-up. Mm. You know, you start with this little thing and then you take it another level and you don't start with Bruckner, actually. If I never played another Bruckner, I don't know. I just have to think about Bruckner. <laughs> don't ask. I think it has something to do with the pages of Tremolo. <laughs> no, it's not. I've tried everything. My stand partner, Cindy my wife whom I you know adore <laughs> she loves Bruckner and there are plenty of people uh, the wind players Brass the brass players, players the of Bruckner, course they love right? it yeah <laughs> maybe they have things to play but even that I don't get bum ba dum bum 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 ba da bum ba da dum bum 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 ba da dum bum ba come on and then he goes into something like a pretty little melody for a little while and then back to bum ba da dum bum it's like there's no transition if there were a transition, then I would get it. <laughs> if you're a Bruckner lover, you have to at Rebecca oh, Young here. <laughs> hate mail. Oh, you can at me too. I'm the same way. <laughs> Doesn't it always feel like someone's trying to convince you about how great Bruckner is? I have this great t-shirt that I wear every time we play Bruckner. It's a picture of Bruckner and it says, um, friends don't let friends listen to Bruckner, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> so I don't like Bruckner, but I love Broadway shows. Every spring we were doing, uh, they called it the spring musical and I just love it. And my stand partner prefers not to do that stuff. And she loves Bruckner. So it's always like stroke her arm while we're going through. It's okay, honey. This is going to be fun. And I'll, I'll bring her candy during the, the Broadway I stuff. And when we're doing the Bruckner, she'll bring me candy. That's support right there. Yeah, it is. You know, I don't have an agenda other than to have fun and to get the stuff that's been in my brain out, you know, express it. Yeah. And it's really, really fun. And what I also love about TikTok, I'm not 
married to TikTok. I'm happy to do longer videos and I have a lot of those in my head. But the TikTok part that I really enjoy is that it gives me parameters. So what can I do in 59 seconds? You know, that's it. <laughs> Otherwise it might be endless and too many uh, possibilities. And when you're ADD as much as I am, forget it. So, <laughs> be too many things. The Philharmonic actually asked you to take over their TikTok. What did you say? <sighs> my first thought is, what's a takeover? <laughs> I go in there and wrestle it from them. I don't know what that means. Hijacking. Uh, exactly. <laughs> But then when I thought about it, I'm doing what I want to do. And this is for me for the first time. in I hate to, you know, everybody put your mutes on 35 years. I've been in the film. Line. And this is the first thing that's mine. That's not related to the orchestra. Still, I wouldn't mind. I have some ideas to do some for the Philharmonic. I just don't want to give up my autonomy. Yeah, we've had lots of conversations on this podcast, actually, about feeling like an individual in a larger ensemble. We're section players. As a section player, you don't have quite as much leeway. So it's hard to feel like you are your own entity. Yeah, there's very little room for self-expression in there. And, you know, the conductor's waving his stick in your face and saying, you got to do it this way. And you have to fit in with your colleagues and you have to listen to everybody else on the stage, but you can't stick out. So sometimes, <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell you this either, but sometimes just to have a little more fun, we'll be doing something you know, any kind of requiem, something that has German words and there's a chorus back there. And when they sing, they're singing in German, but sometimes there's a phrase or a word that sounds like a different word. Yes. And I'll write it down on my stand. <laughs> That's during rehearsals. Then I'll go and write it in other parts around the stage, like people I can see. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> and then we're getting to that part and I start to tense up because I know I'm going to start to laugh and I see people <laughs> lean forward and knit their brow like what and then they start to try not to laugh <laughs> really funny I've only gotten uh reprimanded once I think for that <laughs> worth it totally worth totally it. totally, totally. <laughs> it's so good to know that even at the highest level of our profession we still can do these things well, I don't know what we're supposed to but I do <laughs> I haven't been fired yet. There was a piece that was commissioned by our conductor's wife, Kurt Mazur's wife, Tomoko. Commissioned a piece for my wife, Cindy, and me. And we didn't know this at the time, but that day that we found out about it, it was the end of the season. It was in May sometime, and we were kind of messing around and maybe playing tic-tac-toe or I wrote something off-color, whatever, on our music. And <laughs> we have a whole language of, you know, you point over here with your bow, that means thank you. You point over here with your bow, that means you're welcome. Over here means shut up. Here means go away. You smell. And you know, <laughs> so we, have a whole, we have a whole language. We've been asked by members of the audience once or twice. Somebody will come up and say, you two look like you're having so much fun. And then I'm like, uh-oh, we don't look too much fun. <laughs> so this one particular rehearsal at intermission, the personnel manager came out and said to us, uh, the maestro wants to see you in his room. We looked at each other and went, uh-oh, we went too far this time. We're in trouble. And we went up there and he announces to us that his wife is, would like to commission this piece and um, Sophia Gubaidulina would be the composer and we'll play it and we did, we played it all over the freaking world. Orchestra hated it. We were happy doing it and when we did it again years later, it was even better for us. I mean, it's like we knew this piece like it was one of our children. It's kind of cool. But anyway, we left the room and the first thing we said was, what do we wear? <laughs> <laughs> It was such a relief because we thought we were getting fired that day. <laughs> but they didn't, he didn't even notice. Once in a while, there was one time where Mazur was yelling at somebody. You know, it was very intense. And it was all about the music. No matter what anybody tells you about Kurt Mazur, it was always about the music. He ate, breathed, and slept 
music and it was intense for him. Mm -hmm. And so he would get into it and then he would, for God's sake, what are you doing? Like all those kind of things. And one time I started to giggle because um, I might have written something down about what he was going to say in there. He said it or something like that. <laughs> and he looks down and he goes, Rebecca, do not laugh at your conductor. That's about the worst that I got in trouble sitting up there. But. I love that. I love that because in, in almost all the orchestras that I play with regularly, the violas just seem like the place where that would happen. The most likely to get in trouble. Yes, for laughing. <laughs> the ones that look like we're having the most fun. Yeah. Well, what's funny is there was one time uh, Bramwell Tovey, who, do you know him? Uh-uh. Oh, love this guy. He's not like, you know, not like a Bernstein kind of conductor. We always used him for summertime classics or when we went to Vail and we were with, in the summertime. And he programmed things that you would think are pops concerts. But it's classical music. I don't know why we don't play more of that really great fun stuff. It's legitimate classical music. I don't know. And he would talk and he was hysterically funny and just a super nice man. We would do Parks concerts with him. And another violist in the orchestra has this great garden. And every year she brings in, in the summertime, a big basket of tomatoes and cucumbers and squash. And I'm looking in this basket and I'm thinking, I see this big curved phallic looking squash. And I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder what I can do with this, right? So I took it and I put it under my chair. Bramwell comes out and he walks onto the stage and he would start the concert by talking a little bit about the Dvorak Carnival Overture that we're about to play. So while he has his back turned to us, I reach under my chair and I pull out this squash and I sort of step up and hook it onto the front of his stand. <laughs> And I knew from the previous concert that he would just turn around and start us, right, without even looking down. And so I hooked it on, and then he finishes what he's saying, and he turns around, ba -ba, da -da 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 -da, and gives the thing. And when he looks down at the music, he sees this thing, and he continues to <laughs> conduct with one hand, and he picks it up. <laughs> and he takes a big bite, and then he puts it back down on the thing. Yay! <laughs> you can't do that to just everybody. You know? I love it. You sound like the best stand partner ever. <laughs> So how long have you two been married on a stand together? <laughs> as long as she's been there, because I'm there longer than she has. I think she's been there 25, maybe if you count COVID, 26 years, something like that. I've been there 35. Wow. That's an incredible amount of time to spend sitting with someone and playing with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we've gone through our things, but we always end up talking. We always say we need spinach and french fries. And that doesn't mean there's a problem, but it means we need to you know, work on our marriage or just be with each other or something like that. We used to go out and do that as friends when our kids were little and we both lived in the city and we could do it more often. Kids are similar ages. So it ended up that we liked having french fries and spinach and became kind of code, like those codes that we would point to on the stand. It was another thing. She just sent me like yesterday, said, I want to take you out for spinach and french fries. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like any other relationship, but oh my gosh, she is super focused and she's always generous with her time and the best listener. You know, not to say that we haven't had our things, but we always, we love each other. There's a deep bond and can get past anything, really. That's amazing because going back to like the beginning of the pandemic and we're missing playing, we're missing contact with humans. Liz and I have talked about this a lot. It's that need for connection. And we have connection with our colleagues in a lot of ways. We have it musically. We have it personally and also the connection with the audience. Totally. I have to say that I told you that I started playing with friends on their porches and in my driveway and on my back porch. And then we decided to invite some board members or audience members that I've become friendly because I sit on the outside of the stage there 
in fact, this morning I was walking the dog and I called the Chimas because I haven't seen them in a long time. And there I met them through the audience. There was one year where at the end of the season, they handed each of us a bag of, I think it was four bottles of, they're from Argentina, Argentinian wine. Oh, wow. And they said, you have no idea with this connection that you have made our experience so much more personal yes. and we love it and we'd love to take you out for dinner. And I can't tell you how many Argentinian restaurants we've been to. And there was one summer where I said, we keep saying, we've got to take you somewhere or do something for you. Let's do a chamber music party at my house and let them be the guests of honor. So they came and they said it was like the highlight of their life. Aww. It was nothing for us. It was wonderful. Just come. And they brought some friends and we had some friends and I we played and we had food. And of course, they brought the wine and we've remained friends. Uh, so we were playing for ourselves here during the beginning of COVID. And then we, I said, we started inviting people. Different experience. Yes. It was completely different. And we didn't rehearse. I don't think we practiced our part. You just go and you play. The freedom of that and what goes with that, it was very much like that experience of sitting and listening to my son's orchestra. You get to the basic part of it, which is communicating what you love to do and sharing a piece. I didn't have to play anything written by Bruckner. You know, like, I didn't have to play anything I didn't want to. I mean, if somebody else wanted to play something, fine. If it, was, if it didn't excite me, fine. But it's that audience element is really important. Yes. It's so great, too, because you made me think about this when you told the story about your audience members from the concerts who feel a connection, a personal connection with you. And I will admit, and I think this is probably true for most of us, whether we're freelancing or we're full time somewhere, that so much of the time it's like hop down in your chair play your concert, really disengaged from the people sitting in the audience. That's right. And these are the people who are really interested in what you're doing and would love to engage with you. You know, I've never even up until this year, and we kind of learned a little bit of trial by fire because we started doing these live stream shows. And on a live stream, people are constantly commenting and reacting. And so you're looking in, in between pieces. We would talk to the people who were there. Wow. Yeah. Which... You don't do in a typical orchestra concert, but the relationship that you can build with a supporter, the relationships you can build with supporters by just fostering that connection is really, that's a fascinating thing to think about. Absolutely. I had an experience. There was a tour that they wanted. The orchestra wasn't going on tour. They were taking seven of us to play chamber music for the board members in Italy. We were going to Milan and we were staying at the Ritz-Carlton and then we were going to stay at Lake Como. Wherever the board members went, we were going to have dinner with them. By the way, we also went to La Scala. We had to travel along with them to La Scala. Zubin Mehta was conducting. And guess what the piece was? Bruckner 8th Symphony. <laughs> oh, my God. Your fave. <laughs> but I did it. But the most amazing part of this whole thing was having these dinners. At, we'd play chamber music for these people. And then they would have some kind of really special dinners with oh, one of the places. It looked like the inside of a Fabergé eggs. Is that what they are? Wow. It was amazing. And Mozart had played there, oh or at gosh. least that's what the story was. <laughs> but the connections we made with these board members, and not because they were board members. I'm not saying that's important. But they were audience members, and they were people. They were human beings. And I've made really good friendship, literally I mean, I knew these people for years and didn't know them. You know, I know, oh, this one's a hi, nice to see you. That's it. But now we're really good friends. And uh, we've kept in touch through COVID. And it's not because, it, ostensibly, it was you go because it's for work. And boy, was it a lucky assignment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But really, there was a connection made because of the music and because of being able to talk to them after and answer their questions and find out about their lives and yes. how this relates to them. And how did you come to this? And I love that part. That's the part that I like. I hate to say more even than the playing. I mean, I, I keep saying with my wrist injury, I'm hoping I'm going to get back 
to it. I mean, there's no guarantee. This is, but I like to perform. So it's not so much the viola. I'm lucky I can play the viola. And if I can play it well, I love to do it. And I'll continue to do it if I can. But if I can't, as long as I can reach people through music and connect with my colleagues and bring that to kids and grown-ups and animals, play for the animals. I'd love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a really sophisticated place to have come to because I think a lot of us identify ourselves as our instruments yeah. and that you've been able to strip it down to knowing what part of your job is so meaningful to me. you know driving you yeah that it's that connection and that it's the performance and it makes it easier when you're put in a situation that you know you're injured to still be able to get fulfillment and not feel like the sense of dread. Thank you, TikTok, too. You know what I mean? I did that Peter and the Wolf, and there was one that I had called Banter with Becky. It was supposed to be a series, and I'll get back to that, because I actually like the name. I've always liked the name. That's fantastic. <laughs> it came on a little um, notepad that my mother bought me when I was a little kid, and I've always liked it, and I wanted Aww. to use it. But... I love that. This is another thing somebody told me, and I've, I've identified with this thing always. I think it was a friend of mine who's psychologist or psych somebody on the card, it says his name and his title is human. <laughs> and I've always felt like I want to say human before I'm violist. You know what I mean? It's, yes. This is not who I am. Although it kind of is. If I didn't play it anymore, it's still people would know me as the violist. I think I've always said I'm a mom before I'm a musician. That's a reason why I didn't stay in Boston when I won the principal there. And I didn't stay in LA. I won that job. So I'm a mom before I'm a musician. So I'm also a human. I'm a mom before I'm a human. <laughs> and then I'm a human after that. For a while I was saying, you know, I have no life. I have no life. All I do is go to work and come home and car do uh, but wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That is my life. This is a life. This is not a bad life, you know? It's just how you frame it in your mind. Yeah. This is a question that both of you will have some perspective on that I do not yet, which is being a mom and also working in this career field. And I had a friend recently who also has kids, a lot of stuff going on at home. And she was like, you're going to talk with Viola, mom? Maybe you can talk about like being a mom <laughs> and trying to balance this career because of how challenging that is when you have something that, you know, really is is a piece of who you are. And, and I don't mean the instrument. I love this idea that we're humans first. The violas are vehicle for that kind of connection, but we can find other ways to do it. But when it comes to that passion that you have for what you do, having that balance as being a mom too, I, it's something we really haven't talked about yet on our podcast. So my kids are all seven years apart too. So not on purpose. It just kind of happened that way. So I was a mom. Wow. And Lucky. I had another first child and I had another first child. And like I said, I, I'm a mom first and you know, you give up a lot for your kids, a whole lot for your kids. I'm not expecting anything back. It's just because that's what you do. But in terms of balance, I've always said, I've never had any balance. <laughs> I really haven't. Yeah. It's been, I, I, practice, 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 and work on something. And I feel like I've missed something. Like I did, I couldn't go to that show or that play or that whatever that was. And, and not practice, 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 but you know, work, work, work. And uh, I, I would not practice while they were awake unless it was absolute emergency. So that meant my kids were not good sleepers. Midnight is when I took the viola out. If I had to practice something or learn a solo or do something like that, I would take it out. I would learn it. And the next day I would go like, you know, all droopy eyed wow. and make it work. Or I was like, okay, forget the viola. I'm going to be here. We're going to go and I'm going to be the volunteer mom to take the kids to wherever it was. And because of my schedule, a lot of times that didn't happen. But if it was coming up, then I'm going to do it. It was available to me to be the class mom. And for something, I would do it. It was, it was hard, but 
I would not have given up having kids and I would not have given up, well, maybe I would have given up the career if I had, but I had to make a living. I had to make a living. Yeah. I loved being a mom and I, you know, that's part of you. It's like, you, I don't even think twice about it normally, you know, yeah. it's like you're pregnant and you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> you're like, well, now what? Well, you're going to have the baby. Tough. <laughs> so you have the baby and, and then you don't know what to do. And then you, you figure it out. It's like the same thing with your schedule and with your life. And there are times when I'm on vacation or when I took a sabbatical, it's got to be more than 10 years ago, 15 at least years ago that I took a sabbatical. And I took it because I was going crazy. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I was thinking, and I've got to find something else, some other way to make. And as soon as I stepped back and I got the sabbatical and I didn't have to go to work, I could breathe and I didn't start looking for other things to do. But my mother would say to me, you're so busy right now. I don't know how you do it when you have to go to work. Yes. You know how, I mean, however, even if you don't have kids, yes. when there's nothing to do, it's like time is like sand and it just fills in. I'm not religious, but you know how they say God doesn't give you more than you can handle. <laughs> yeah. The universe doesn't give you more than you can handle. Yeah. And you just, you work with what, what you got. I think that's so true. You know, as a mom, my kids are much younger, but you just kind of take it day by day. And that sounds really cliche, but it's week by week. It's what do I have going on this week? What can my partner or, you know, my husband or my wife Fill in for me. You have a husband, a partner, and a wife? Wow. <laughs> yes, I have a very busy schedule. <laughs> I have a lot of people to juggle over here. You know, sister wives, frankly, that would be great now, you know? Or, or a village, you know, when you have... Right? I have friends that I said, yes. you should all live yes. in little cul-de-sacs and have four families. And this day, I go to work and you babysit. And then you go to work and you babysit. Totally. Yeah. Let's start a commune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we've already been floating this we idea, have. haven't we? <laughs> A viola commune. Yes, we've talked about it. I don't know about that. There's a joke in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, though. When you think about it, I just went out to lunch. Our former concertmaster, Glenn Dittrell, was in town with his wife, who's a violist. And there were six of us. So his his wife is a violist. I'm a violist. And the other three people, two of those were violists, too. It just (laughs) happens to be. Is it because we sit near each other? I don't think so, because people don't always get along with the people they sit with. It's just, I don't know, the mentality. Is that what it is? I think they were just laid back. Creative too. Yes, very creative. And there's something about being facilitators, you know, we connect things together. We're we're sort of wired that way anyway um, in our training, but also personality wise, there's some, yeah, there's something. Something to it. Collegial about, collegial about it. Collegial. Collegial. Collegial? That's weird set. Collegial. Collegial? I think it's collegial. <laughs> something that bonds us. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this is so great. <laughs> I'm having fun. We're both just so grateful that you gave us some time to chat today. And My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Viola Centric Podcast. If you enjoy what you're hearing and would like to support us, please consider a contribution through the PayPal or Venmo links in our episode notes. Once again, I'm Liz O'Hara Starr. And I'm Stephanie Knutson. We release new episodes every other Monday, so please subscribe so you don't miss one. In the meantime, connect with us on Facebook and on Instagram and email us at violacentric at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.